Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. Elias, how you doing today? Awesome. I haven't had any, Couldn't it be better? I've had no other guests other than you for a long time. Because I'm probably the best guest you can have on here. You know, here. It, it reminds me of the movie. I don't know if you ever watched this. What was the college football movie? Um, was it James Caan was in it? Uh, Which, I don't know. There's a college football, The Program. The program in yeah. Latimer, you remember Latimer in the program? Yeah, yeah, he's crazy like, dude. He's yeah. all juiced up on steroids, and he had the face paint. And he comes in, and gets, <laughs> he makes a starting lineup. He's like, "Place at the table, that's, you've got the place at the table for the starting lineup on the Behind the Wall show." And that's how I feel too. So I'm just, you know, maybe just like a football player, worried about losing my spot. I'm <laughs> just got to stay focused on what I can control and. Hopefully not be too boring on the show, and maybe you'll keep me around. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't had any listeners texting me or letting me know that Elias has been boring. They're appreciating the short well, sleeve flannels that we're, that we're rocking out today. You know, like, here's what happened. They probably gave up on me. They probably just thought, this guy's never going to change. Actually, so they moved a, on. You had a lot of encouragement from yeah. some of the listeners. They're like, you can do it, Elias. They were recommending books for you and all kinds of stuff. So. Self-help books. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I got to tell you a funny story about the movie The Program. So that movie came out when I was maybe a junior in high school. And I had a couple buddies who had went to the movie that night. And I don't know, this was like 1 o'clock in the morning. There's a knock at my door. And the next thing I know, my whole yard is like lit up with lights. And it's the police helicopter for Cedar Rapids over my yard. There's a there's a cop in the backyard. My dad comes out with a flashlight. At, at my parents' house. This is in Bowman Woods. And they're like, what's going on? They're like, we have a report of a burglary here. Your neighbor called in. And it was because my buddies had went to the movie. They'd face painted themselves all up like Latimer. So they had all this face paint. And the neighbors thought our house was getting broken into. And it's your friends pranking you, basically. No, they were just coming over to like, to, hey, what's up? Like, they were all excited about the movie. The neighbors thought we were getting robbed. So they had the police helicopter over. You don't know how bright the police helicopter lights are until they're right over your yeah, house. shining in your window. <laughs> you think it's daylight out. My dad was like, what is going on out here? So every time I think of that movie, I, I you know, think back to that story. My friends who are listening to this, if they are listening, they'll know who they are. Yeah. But it was pretty funny. Yeah, I remember that time we all almost went to jail trying to go see Roger. <laughs> <laughs> they would have arrested him. They were there. They would have had the guns pulled, cuffs, cuffs slapped on and everything. So, um, well, fun stuff happening in the news. Bitcoin's taken center stage again as to stuff happening in the world has become ultra volatile the last, I don't know, couple of months. And it's driven by, you know, some different things that are happening and countries at the government level are starting to get involved with Bitcoin. Um, I think the biggest news is back on June 8th, um, El Salvador, which, I mean, I don't know who's really paying attention much what El Salvador is doing, but um, they decided their Congress voted by a supermajority in favor of, of what's called a Bitcoin law. And what they're doing is they're basically making Bitcoin legal tender in their country. Yeah, and this is, I guess, what here's what stood out to me as I'm reading about this, El, Sal El Salvador is going to do it. And then one of the highlights of the article to me was 70% of their residents don't have access to traditional financial services. So, I just, I, for me, I'm like, okay, so I have a hard time seeing how cryptocurrency is the solution to that. I mean, don't you think just like 
getting a checking or savings account, online banking, using a debit card. I feel like they're going from, it's like a ladder, right? You're at the bottom of the ladder and they're going all the way to the top of the ladder instead of, to me, it seems like they should be helping their citizens with the easy stuff first. Well, they have a young energetic leader, right? So this goes back to, if we have a young leader versus somebody in a later stage of life, let's call it, the ability for them to conceptualize what this new technology really is may be harder. But I think you're right. The fact that this is a cash country and now you're asking them to go to Bitcoin. And what does it really mean? It means that the vendors there are now going to have to have prices in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. They're going to need to accept Bitcoin as form of payment if they can. So what does that mean? I mean, if they don't have a computer, can they not do Bitcoin? And this was actually... 90 days is all the notice given to the country that we're going to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. I don't know much that can get done in a country. And what's El Salvador, like six and a half million people or something? But still, the, the ability to adapt and say, hey, we're going to do this in 90 days just seems a little aggressive. Yeah. Um, so, and I guess the other thing I thought about and I wanted to get your thoughts on. So, because remember, so a while back we had a meeting with a guy who was, he's all in on Bitcoin. And one of his talking points was if countries don't allow it, there will be countries that do allow it. And then the Bitcoiners, that's where they'll go because then they can use their Bitcoin as a currency. So, and then maybe El Salvador is making a move to attract people that really want to use this as currency. We talked about this yesterday and that could be a move that El Salvador is thinking. I don't know. Um, And I need to do a little more research on the taxation because, you know, I think right now in the U.S. is taxes use real property. Correct. Where if you think about currency exchange, well, that's what it's worth. You're not paying tax in the exchange of currency when I convert from dollars to pesos or whatever. So maybe there's some special taxation laws in there that El Salvador has that's trying to become popular. But I think another thing to know is El Salvador actually went to the World Bank and asked for them to help aid in this conversion to Bitcoin. And the World Bank basically said no, said there's not enough transparency. All the things that people in the Bitcoin world actually claim there are, the World Bank said, no, not good enough at this point. So it'll be really interesting to see how that turns out for El Salvador. And then more recently, what really happened, it's the complete opposite side of the coin. China went and basically cracked down on crypto crypto on the 21st. and that wiped out about $400 billion in value from Bitcoin immediately. Basically, they said they're not going to allow mining in China. Um, I want to say I read an article that 90% of the Bitcoin mining comes from China. So that's a, a lot, yeah. big, big portion um, coming from China. You know, And I don't know, someone will probably pick the slack up. I don't know um, what will eventually end up yeah. happening, but that actually took Bitcoin down about 29,000 in value. It's trading 33 today. Um, but yeah. there's been pressure on Bitcoin because of that. So it's interesting. That we have two countries that are taking complete opposite sides here. One's embracing it. One's cracking down on it. Yeah. And you know where I, I'm getting to the point. It's hard to just keep, it's hard to keep, um, dedicating brain power to it. Cause the more I learn, there's so many there's so many unknowns and just the way we operate and the way we work, we're always talking about, well, let's control what we can control. So for me, it's frustrating because I haven't come to a, a way to think about crypto or Bitcoin that I feel like I understand where it could fit in someone's financial picture. 
um, that I understand the future of it. There's so many unknowns. I've almost, I have to stay, you know, I have to stay educated about it because of the business we're in, but I kind of want to give up on it. I'm almost sick of talking about it, to be honest. Well, I think the reason we talk about it, we owe it to people so they get some of this knowledge and realize that they don't need to get caught up in all the inertia of what's happening. I mean, if you think about it, this asset class, if we're going to call it an asset class, really is the speculative part of somebody's portfolio, right? Yeah. I mean, I had someone ask me the other day, should I be buying Bitcoin? And it was an older person. And I said, well, I mean, it's your speculation portion because nobody knows. We have MicroStrategies, which is a company who's been borrowing and leveraging $3.5 billion to buy Bitcoin. Yesterday, I was listening to CNBC on the drive to work, and the article actually came out on Monday, and it said Jim Cramer, who's known for running you know, a hedge fund for a long time, he has a charitable trust, he's on CNBC every single day. Jim Cramer comes out on Monday, I think Monday or Friday, and says, I've sold most of my Bitcoin. Granted, he bought it about 12000 And he made news earlier in the year because he, um, he actually came out and said he paid his mortgage off with his Bitcoin gains. And I'm guessing Jim's mortgage wasn't 300000 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was probably fairly large, but he came out and said he paid his mortgage off. And now he's yesterday morning on my drive to work. He's like, I'm pressing the button now. I'm done with Bitcoin. And so we have two very smart individuals that are on completely opposite sides of this trade. And what it goes to show the average average listener, the everyday person who's listening to our show this is not important to you. We're giving you the information so you don't get stuck in this trap of feeling like you are missing out. I mean, that's the number one thing. I was listening to um, The Compound the other day with uh, Josh Brown and Batnick. And Batnick said, well, I'm just owning Bitcoin at this point because I don't want to be the guy that doesn't own it if it goes to half a million dollars. There was no, like, yeah. they're yet to, like, give me a reason, real rational reason why they're holding on to this other than, I don't want to miss out. And that's actually a dangerous thing for people that are trying to reach retirement, hit these goals is not missing out. Shouldn't be a reason to own something because it doesn't yeah. really give a clarified goal. It's hard to move into the probabilistic world that we talk about. Yeah. Well, and he's so bad, Nick, you know, he's saying that's almost fear of missing out right there. But, you know, the other thing, and he's, he blogs about personal finance and behavioral finance. So, you know, he probably thinks that there's still a lot of people that haven't adopted it. And just like him, he doesn't want to be the guy without any, if it goes to half a million dollars. Well, how many other people are out there like that? He's at some level probably betting on that a lot of other people feel the same way and will come into the Bitcoin market and start buying it. But here's the problem. Most people actually aren't buying enough to have a meaningful impact on their financial life. Yeah, the right, huge, if you go buy a thousand dollars and it goes from thirty three thousand to five hundred, well, what's that? Let's call it twenty times. So your thousand turns into twenty. You, you can't even buy a car with that. Yeah. Like so, people. I think people feel like this is going to be a lottery ticket. The lottery ticket days were when this thing was eight bucks, right, or mm -hmm. five hundred, and it went to fifty thousand. That was the lottery. Yeah. I feel like the lottery's over. It's priced in. It's, everybody's aware of it now. It's not a situation where people don't know what this is. I mean, everybody knows. It's all over the news. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just really interesting that we've got two countries on opposite sides. We have two highly successful people on opposite sides. Here's what it means for people listening to the show. This doesn't matter. This is your speculative bucket. 
if, if you have that, and that's okay. If you want to speculate and you have fun with it, I've got a Coinbase account, right? I have some. It's a little fun. I did the, I was actually on when I was super bored, and you can earn free crypto by learning about all this different stuff. So here I am taking their quizzes for like an hour to get like $9. I'm like, I made $9 an hour, barely minimum wage. Uh, but it was fun sitting on my porch and you know being educated about some of the other stuff. Um, but uh, you know we're, we're from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and we have a local celebrity. We don't have many from here, but we have some. And one of the kind of the biggest celebrities or claim to fame in our local area is Landon Castle. And Landon's a NASCAR driver. Uh, I think his family owns Castle Motors, right, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah, correct. Um, and he's been on the tour for a long time. I, I mean, I don't know how many years, but if you watch racing, it's really hard to be in the top. I mean, something's going on. It's got to all be about money. And from Cedar Rapids, there's money, but maybe not, you know, like some of these other teams. But um, we had a client who came in, was it two days ago? Yep. And they said, hey. He's the one who started asking about cryptocurrency. Yeah, and that's the best part about this segment here is how we even learned that Landon Castle had the sponsorship and is going to get paid in crypto. So the client that asked, and I'm still laughing about it because we're talking about it, big race car fan, and he goes, hey, what do you guys know about that crypto money stuff? <laughs> so one, he doesn't even know it's actually called cryptocurrency. He's called uh, currency money, same thing. Yeah, right. But it's just funny how he said it. And, you know, if Landon Castle never gets a sponsorship, he's probably not asking. But I thought it was cool because I didn't know about it. And he brought it up. And, um, yeah, I mean, Landon's a NASCAR driver, local celebrity. And he's decided to take um, payment from this sponsor in cryptocurrency. It's a, it's a good example of what advertising does, actually. Because this is a client who there's no possible way he would have ever asked us about anything about cryptocurrency unless he saw it on Landon's car. Right. Right. And Landon, so just to be clear, um, it's not actually cryptocurrency company. It's a brokerage company. So Voyager is actually a cryptocurrency brokerage platform. That's what he's raced by. Um, and they did a one-year deal for him. So 19 races on the Xfinity series. Um, but they are paying Landon in Litecoin. Um, and like he's apparently Landon Castle's been part of the crypto market for a while. I think he met um, the Voyager CEO, who is Steve L. Ehrlich, um, at a crypto conference two years ago, and they were kind of speaking on the panel. And um, he'd been pitching the sponsorship idea to, you know, the crypto companies, but it takes a little time to adopt. To adopt. And right. I mean, apparently it works. I mean, maybe we should find a race car on TV and put our name behind the Wells show on it. We probably should. Or it could be like Jeff. So Jeff from our office, he'll, he always tells a story. He sponsored a race car at a Hawkeye Downs, a few thousand bucks, whatever, title sponsor. And he went down to the pit, watched the race. Very first lap, the car crashed. Season over. <laughs> I've never heard this Oh, story. yeah. You'll have to ask Jeff about the story about his race car sponsorship. Literally made like one or two laps, car raced, and it didn't race again the rest of the year. <laughs> worth it. Yeah, he's like, I don't know if that was worth it or not. So Elias, the other, you know, in addition to Landon Castle and all the kind of stuff in the Bitcoin world, but the meme stocks keep making names for themselves. AMC is kind of at the top of the top of the heap here. Um, I mean, you think about this company, <laughs> bad things happen to it. It's criticized for misleading investors about federal investigations. It operates movie theaters that are now shut down in a pandemic. Um, it's just all this crazy stuff and 
they're almost bankrupt, but people keep buying it. Well, I mean, what, is, what do we make of all of this? Um, that's a good question. I mean, we know it's so, a, and there's and we, know, we know it's a short squeeze. I mean, they're trying to do that. They're continuing to put pressure on the people who've sold the sh- the stock short, um, yeah. whether it's GameStop or AMC or one of these other companies that generally most financial technicians would look at and say, "Man, I wouldn't touch that thing with a ten foot pole." They keep pushing the, the price, and you know, we all think that at some time there's going to be an unwind of it. The problem is we don't know when. And my uncle was an advisor here in town for 20 years, highly respected. And he was at a birthday party with me Monday night. We were talking about this. And we both said the same thing. The problem is you have to be right twice. You have to be right when you sell it. And you have to be right when you rebuy it. And it's our total philosophy on just trying to time the market in general and how we just eliminate noise from people's life. Because the noise is what makes people bad investors. I mean, all of this stuff we're talking about, we're talking about so people don't have to go find out the hard way what's going on, trying to educate people, hey, this doesn't matter. Um, I was at the fishing trip. I told you about this, and someone said, what do you think about Philip Morris? My answer was, I don't. What do you mean? It's been great for my uncle. Doesn't mean it's great for you, right? Diversified portfolio of mutual funds, ETFs, whatever product mix you're using is what makes you successful in conjunction with that financial plan that we've crafted for some people. Yeah. So, okay. So the meme stock trading for me, I guess it comes down to, this is like the aspect of the market where I feel like people are looking for lottery tickets with this. Um, and is, do I think it's cool that people are like kind of banding together to try and run a short squeeze on hedge funds? Yeah, there are aspects of that that are cool. Um, but for me, it comes down to, am I looking... Am I trying to trade and find lottery tickets or am I an investor and do I want to be a successful investor? So just from my perspective, um, I don't view myself as a trader. uh, And what I mean by that is I'm not trying to find individual stocks and buy them at the lowest price and then sell them at the highest price. I view myself as an investor. So I focus more on the behaviors that I think will make me a successful investor in the long term. And for me, that's just consistently buying a good diversified portfolio. And, you know, will some people trading meme stocks, will they um, build more wealth than I do? Yeah, I don't know, maybe. But over the next 20 years, I'm certain that I'm going to do a good job building my wealth. And so for me, I find this entertaining and there's some cool aspects of it and I like it, but you're, I just, it, it's gambling. It's you're actually treating your money more like you would at a casino than in a fewer investing. Basically and I separate those things. Warren Buffett, life. Warren Buffett came out and said that we've created this casino, casino environment where it's cool to be involved in these things and roll the dice. Talk to my uncle, his son's been buying crypto. He's in this world. He's like, he buys it right when it comes out. I'm like, so he's buying stuff. He doesn't know what it is, just hoping for it to go up. And at some time that's going to lead to bad things for people. We just don't know when. Um, it's reminiscent of the dot-com, you know, early to late nineties, early two thousands is just whatever website, abc.com it's worth something. And guess <laughs> yeah. what? And, and, but here, here's, here's what I tell people. Most of those companies went out of business, but that doesn't mean they all did. There's still going to be strong companies that they don't all suffer the wrath, right? Uh, Michael Burry came out about a week ago and said, we're going to see one of the greatest market collapses of all time. And he was referring to this crypto and 
um, and the meme stocks, right? I don't, he clearly the market will have some effect. I don't think he was referring to the overall market, but primarily these two sectors. And if people don't know who Michael Burry is, um, he's the key character in the big short. He's known for actually calling the housing crash. You know, we don't believe in predictions, but he's not trying to predict the market. He will go and find an asset class that he feels is overvalued, over leveraged. And the reason he's using this, the, the rationale for this, his thesis, I'll call it, is leverage is creeped in. So, you know, leverage leads to bad things. When people are borrowing money to buy something, most of the time, good things can't happen. Good things happen the way up. Yeah. Bad things happen on the way down, which is exactly what happened with the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. People over leveraged their homes. We had people that had three, four and five mortgages and, you know, banks were lending 120 percent loan to value. I mean, I remember going to the countrywide website, was, which was one of the companies who were hit worse than all. You can get an interest only 40 year loan. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. You know, just <laughs> pay interest, great. the payment's nothing. <laughs> I get this house that I can't really afford. I mean, and I remember driving around Cedar Rapids with my wife. We were in Robbins. I remember exactly where I was at. I go, Megan, I can't figure it out. I go, there's not that many people in Cedar Rapids that can afford, this is, this is in 2007, that can afford a $400,000 house. Like, you know, you think of Cedar Rapids, we're kind of a blue collar blue collar area. we got Rockwell, some bigger employers, but it's not like we're known for this Silicon Valley wealth here. Right. And not that that was wealth, but I'm like, I just can't figure it out. I was in the financial services and well, I mean, I figured it out about two years later when the crash happened. I wish I would have had a little bit more for, foresight to say, Hey, you know, <laughs> but that's why I'm not a hedge fund manager. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and did you see this line about, this is another Warren Buffett comment how when he was a young investor he had fondness for he calls them cigar butt stocks the dregs of the market companies with a few puffs left in them <laughs> so, and you know and i get that part of this is like it's cool to kind of roll your eyes at someone like warren buffett and people that are talking about fundamentals and all these things of how traditionally we think stocks and the stock market works uh, i would just caution if you're like, if you're getting all your financial advice on a Reddit thread, I would caution you against thinking there's no value in learning from some of the most successful investors of all time. And I agree. I, I just, you can't discount what somebody like Warren Buffett's done. But the one thing that right. we should probably be aware of is that retail investing has grown and trading has grown faster than institutional trading over the last decade. That was put out by um, Catherine Keating of BNY Mellon. Um, and she thinks this is permanent, like a permanent shift in behavior of retail investors. And I, I don't know if I agree. I think it's permanent until bad things happen to them, until they don't think this is easy anymore. Like these, these 22 year old young retail investors, they think this is easy. Yeah. They They're do, like, oh right yeah, we now. buy this and it goes up. Eventually that's not going to happen. And how much carnage will come of that? I don't know. So until they can show me that, you know, this new you know, we buy companies that fundamentally don't make sense and they make money until we can show that this is like a long standing trend, really hard to believe that this is a permanent change. Um, right. And it, anybody, anybody can do anything in goes, the short term. This has only been going on for a year. Here's what's ironic. So. Here's the most ironic thing about this. 20 years ago when day trading caught fire, we did a interview with my cousin, Doug Graham, who is kind of involved in the whole day trading thing, which is kind of what we're back to. 
day trading, online brokerage, they said financial advisors will not be relevant in 10 years. Like we'll all be out of jobs. So we're still here. We're still here. And I would, I would argue that we've become more relevant than ever. Has our business changed? Yes, it's changed from finding great investments to providing and articulating great advice for people. Because you, know, you think back to 2000, the internet was relatively new. You weren't able to just jump on there and do all this research and all these different investments. Well, my clients now, they come in, they know what they own, they know how they've done. So everything's transformed into just purely this advice world and how to provide the probabilistic outcome for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at what we do more similar to like a doctor now. At some point, it was probably about the doctor prescribing the right medicine. Now it's all about what's the outcome for a patient. Like my my best friend's a foot surgeon, his wife's a gynecologist. They talk about outcomes. Well, that's what we're providing for people now is purely what's the outcome. How do we get to the most probabilistic and likely outcome possible? And it's done by us creating this financial plan, which has nothing to do with retail investors and day trading, and any of this stuff. This is purely noise. The problem is this is everything that's in the news. I've never heard mainstream news, CNBC, CNN, Bloomberg, any of these channels ever come out and say, well, the most important thing a retail investor can do is create a financial plan. No, that's way, that's too boring. You can't get viewers talking like that. Well, no, because actually they create a financial plan and figure out that I can just create a media filter. I don't need you. It's all irrelevant. I mean, that's probably why we have financial plan adoption under 20%. You know, under 20% of the people actually have a plan. I mean, what was the statistic? We used to talk about this at workshops. More people spend more time planning their vacation than they do planning their finances. Yeah. And it's amazing. We have people come in here. Well, how much are you spending? I don't know. I mean, now ballpark, like an idea. Yeah, you should. Right. Just having an idea. Right. I mean, you people are just some kind of ballpark. People just don't pay attention. We had a client who did $181,000. Didn't know she had. How do we not know? <laughs> how do you not know that you have this? I mean, she was excited to find it. But how do you not know? I mean, it's just comes down to you haven't done a plan. You don't know where everything's at. And I can do example of example after example of people who come in here and really don't know what they have. And the trend I've seen more recently, we're getting younger people. Mm -hmm. We are getting people that are 40 years old and they're like, I think I should do this. And maybe it's because of what we're talking about people with, but we're Probably. giving them the right track. The old adage is if I make a change sooner rather than later, I'm always better off. I'd rather have the 35 year old come in here and say, hey, look, I wanna make sure I'm on the right track. Creating a financial plan for a 35 year old, it's not that hard, right? There's too many, yeah, not that much stuff. Some cases, we had a person the other day who's a business owner and there's a lot of moving parts, that'll be challenging. But for most people, it's are we saving enough money to get where we wanna go? How do we quantify it? And then it can help quantify other purchases. You know, We deal with people all the time. I'd like to not just hoard all my money I'd really like to make sure I can retire, but at the same time, maybe my husband wants to start a business or we want to buy a vacation house and we can help people quantify whether that works or not, you know, instead of having to pretend we're going to get a lottery ticket to make that work. Yeah. Well, and we've done that recently because especially with a few of our newer clients, we've had some people that are pretty successful at a younger age. And one thing they ask and they've been listening to the show so they kind of understand the direction we're going um 
and they want to save and be on the right track for their long-term wealth, but they don't necessarily want to oversave because it's not their goal to hoard their money. Their goal is more, I want to be on track, but I want to enjoy my life right now too. And that's something that we've helped them quantify. And and it's not just, yeah, for you, it's 10% of your income. It's not generic advice. It's actually, if you do X amount of dollars, we believe you're on track and now you have this extra arbitrary number. You have an extra $2,000 a month. Well, what do you want to do with it? Buy a rental property, go on vacation, but live and enjoy your life. And it's kind of fascinating to see how once they get a plan, like their their confidence from the first meeting to then when they become clients, you can just tell in the meeting that it's drastically different because they, they were saying things like, well, we think and we know, or we hope, well, now we're, it's more, the conversation's more, okay, so we know if we do this, everything's going to work out. Yeah, well, and that's very, it's it's cool to see that. It's not a guarantee, but it's more than likely. And, right. and it's fun because these people start to really adopt. We have some younger people. I mean, they have access to their financial plan. They're playing with it, but they're starting to see how their decision-making affects what they do. Um, and it's fun to tell some, yeah, you, you're doing a great job. You can go splurge a little because most people live in the world of, paralysis by analysis because they don't have any way to actually go quantify what needs to be done to reach a retirement goal. Um, and for some people, retirement isn't their goal. For instance, retirement's not my goal. I love what I do, but I still am putting myself in a position that at 60 years old or whatever the age is, I have the ability to have choices. You know, I always hear people, I'm never going to retire. Well, you know what that is? That's just the immature way of saying, I don't want to save any money. Yeah, I don't want to prepare. So I don't want to prepare, not so I'm not going to retire. Right? And you know it's, what? You pro- I don't have a plan. Maybe you don't want to retire, but someday your body's going to tell you it's time to retire or your mind's going to tell you it's time to retire. So what I talked to, and we had somebody yesterday, owns a business. I probably will never retire. Great. What's the age that you want to be able to have a choice? Everybody right. feels better about going to work when they have the choice not to go. I did a financial plan for a couple, this is probably seven years ago. Told me they were gonna retire when they're 60. They ended up working until 63. I'm like, well, what's going on? They're like, well, when you go to work every day and you know you don't have to, it's a little easier to go. You enjoy it more. (laughs) (laughs) And they delayed retirement for three years, but that's what working with us does and that's what we try to provide. And I think all the stuff in the world that is going on, it's fun to talk about. We want to be educated. But what the whole purpose of doing this is when people hear that China cracked down on Bitcoin, doesn't matter to you if you don't own it. Or El Salvador is now taking Bitcoin as currency, doesn't matter to you if you don't own it. It's irrelevant. Right. You know, or, oh, AMC or GameStop went up X amount, irrelevant to you as long as you don't own it. Yeah. And why would you put yourself through all that stress when you just go work with a very well-diversified portfolio and accomplish the same goals in a more predictable fashion? If you think about trying to get where you want to go, we want we want the most probabilistic outcome. We want the path of least resistance. Nobody likes to ride roller coasters with their money. Yeah. Well, right. And that's hopefully one of the, I guess for me, I'm kind of in the camp now with all the crypto and the meme stock stuff, as I hope one of the positive outcomes is it does bring people into the market. And I guess for me, fortunately, I don't think there's a lot of, I don't think anyone's gambling a huge portion of their wealth or their net oh, worth. I'm, on, I'm sure people are. I know of at least one of my friend's brothers 
sold everything and put it into Bitcoin. Everything he had, his house, really? everything. So I think well, you'd actually. But I'm, I think there's a larger percentage of people doing it, and especially with the meme stock trading that they're too young, that they haven't amassed enough wealth yet, that they're going to really derail themselves. But if it gets them into the market and gets them participating and then hopefully moves them from, well, I'm going to do this because this guy in a thread on Reddit said I should do it to I'm going to buy I'm going to buy the S&P 500 and participate in the market and be good with that. I Those hope. are positive outcomes, I, I hope. think. I hope. I'm not sure. Because yeah. once again, it goes back to gambling mentality. No part of gambling mentality is playing it safe. Right. I mean, yeah. you got to learn how to be a successful investor. Right. If there's that's only, the outcome, that's good. So there's only one way to win at gambling. And I'm going to tell you how to win because I won at the casino. What? To be the be the house? That's how you win at gambling? I won, I won at the casino. My wife and I were working. I was working with some clients in New Orleans. Um, and I don't think I've told this story. Went to a really nice restaurant for dinner. Highly disappointed. We'd been there. It was like our favorite restaurant we went. And just, <laughs> man, it just wasn't that good. And my wife's like, I just hate to say it after we spent all this money on dinner, but it wasn't that good. And I go, well, what would make you feel better? She goes, you know... Maybe we should just go to the casino. It's across the street. So it's Harris Casino. New Orleans across the street. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. Have a little fun. So we go in there, and it is wild. I mean, this is crazy place. People everywhere. So we find a 25-cent machine. And my wife, that's what she likes to play. Whatever. 25 cents? 25 cents. You know, max credits. Max credits, like buck 25 a spin. So she puts in 20. She just wants 20. So I put 20 in, we're sitting by each other, and you know my 20 goes faster than hers because I move fast, I press buttons fast, I don't win anything. So my 20's gone, my wife's playing. I go to the machine next to it, it's like a 50 cent machine, but I'm not paying attention, I just put 20 in and hit max spin, it's like four bucks. I'm like, oh man, this is gonna go fast. Four bets, right? Or bets or spins, whatever. And my wife loses money, she goes, well, I'm ready to go. And we've been there like nine minutes. So now we're down like, I don't know, 50 bucks. And we don't bet a lot. I, I'm not into that. Anyway, my next spin, I hit 160 bucks. Time to go. And no, here's what my <laughs> wife said. Well, don't we want to pull it down to the 60 we put in? I go, do you want to know how to win at the casino? She goes, yeah, how? I hit that button <laughs> for the $160 ticket. I said, we just want 100 bucks. Let's go. And we walked out the door. We were there for about nine minutes. It took longer to cash the check, but I want $100 at the casino. And I don't go gambling much. But that's it's funny. My wife's like, how do you win? I'm like, watch. And well, I hit you're... the button and cashed out. Yeah, well, what you're supposed to do, what they want you to do, is you just stay there and keep pushing the button to keep spinning the machine. Yeah, and I'll win, but typically not what I did. I mean, it was like four dollars a spin. I was happy I won because I'm like, man, this is sixty bucks. I just went through in like, you know, eleven minutes. Yeah, it's almost it's almost the opposite. And like in the it's almost the opposite in the stock market. The longer you stay in, the odds are the outcome is going to be better. It's 100 percent opposite. Right. Because the goal in the stock market is to be in for a long time. It moves the odds in your favor. In the casino, if you get up right away, you should leave because the longer you stay, the odds go in the house's favor. Um, in fact, we did that study oh, was it about a year ago. I looked it up. The worst 15 years for the S&P 500 was like 5.77% average. Well, is that exciting? Yeah, not really. Is it bad? No. Most people would be happy to average. You know, the worst 15-year period of time for the S&P 500, nearly 6%. Um, so with that said... If anybody's looking for help with a financial plan, go to our website, btwellshow.com. Um, if anybody has a listener question, you know, we did some listener questions a couple of weeks ago. That was fun. We get questions sometimes. Shoot us a question, btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to get to it. Uh, 
appreciate you being on the show today, Elias, and I'm sure I'm going to have you back on the show next week. Awesome. Everyone, thanks for listening. Have a good day. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIT. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.